0: I want to say hi to everybody who's across the street at the video venue and everybody who's tuning in online. We're so glad you are with us this morning. It was June 25th this past summer and we had just gotten back from our high school CIY MOVE conference. We had taken 140 students uh, to Michigan. We worshiped Jesus. We had a great time and a lot of fun doing that but nothing was going to prepare me for what I was about to experience next you see all of that was about to be put back on the back burner for what I was about to hear I waited for every kid to get picked up and then I went home and I hadn't seen my wife and my daughter for a whole week and so I got home and I go upstairs and I give them a hug and and I'm on the ground playing with my daughter uh, who's 11 months old at this point and all of a sudden my wife gets up and she walks out of the room I'm thinking that's kind of weird right I'd been home for three minutes I hadn't seen you for a whole week and all of a sudden you can't stand to be around me so (laughs) It, it, was, it was just strange, but she walks out and she goes back to our bedroom, and then she walks back in, and she looks at me, and she goes, um, I think we're pregnant. And she holds up three pregnancy tests, <laughs> and I go, what? And I was shocked. I was, I was surprised, and it was just an incredible moment. I look at her, and she's crying. And I'm like, what is this happy cry or sad cry? I didn't know what was going on. But it was a moment that I will never forget because that was such unexpected news for us. If you knew our story, we hadn't planned it that way. We had a daughter who hadn't even turned one yet. And all of a sudden now we're expecting another child. It was an incredible moment. It was met with joy. And today people share that type of news with with joy and pictures and all that kind of stuff. And what we're going to look at today is the conception announcement of Jesus. You know, what happened when Joseph and Mary, who trust me, were unexpected parents? Uh, what happened when they learned that there was a child on the way, specifically Joseph? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. is where we're going to be at this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you that we're, we just started this series called Let's Talk About Jesus. And last week, Pastor Chris talked about the genealogy of Jesus and what that meant. Uh, for his origin, and today we're looking at what happens when Joseph learns that there's a child on the way. As we're going verse by verse through the book of Matthew, we're going to finish chapter 1 today, so we're on our way uh, to finishing this. So I want to invite you to stand with me as we read from Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18 this morning, and we'll go through the rest of the chapter. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. She will give birth to a son and you are going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Thank you, you could be seated. May God add the blessing to the hearing and the reading of his word. And as we dive in today to this text, there, there's so much cultural and spiritual things happening here. I just wanna just get right into it and start because uh, we got a simple outline today, three, three ideas that we can gather from this text. And the first one is very, very obvious that we gather from the very beginning is this. Joseph was scared. Joseph, Joseph was Afraid he wasn't afraid to be a dad. He was afraid because his fiance was pregnant and he wasn't the dad You see he was scared because he knew what was expected of him in his culture if he found out news like this You see in the first century what would typically happen is couples would be engaged uh, for about a year and uh, Usually it was uh, an arranged marriage. We don't know this about Joseph and Mary But they'd be engaged for about a year, then their marriage would be confirmed and then they would move in together. An engagement was also called a betrothal but it was essentially a marriage. You can even see in that text that they're called husband and wife because the same rules applied, they just hadn't sealed the deal yet. And so when Joseph learns that Mary is pregnant, he assumes, and rightfully so, that she's been unfaithful to him. And he knows the cultural expectation is for her to be exposed to a public trial and she would be shamed and her, and her deeds would be brought out in front of everyone and be shown to be an unfaithful partner. And if she was allowed to keep her life, she would raise that child on her own and be shamed for it. You see, Joseph's reputation was at risk here as well. Because if he decided to keep Mary as his wife, the verbal beating that his manhood and his reputation would have taken would have been thick. I tell you all of this because this is how I would sum it all up. This was just a big mess. This was was just a big mess for Joseph, for Mary, for the community. You see, this wasn't gonna be a private situation. This was gonna be public knowledge. And so it was just a big mess for everybody because there was decisions that had to be made and the consequences that would follow. Now, let me tell you a little bit about how I grew up with this idea of messes. I grew up in a home that messes were not acceptable, right? We, we were not allowed to have messes. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my dad, and I think he's here somewhere this morning, but um, we weren't allowed to have a mess. Now most of you probably just had Thanksgiving at your house and you probably just had a great meal, with turkey and ham and all that kind of stuff. And What happens to most families is you have that meal and then uh, you probably just you know, relax and watch football and you know, go back and get some more food later, fall into a turkey coma, whatever it is. Uh, But what happens in our house is that we have that meal and it's great and it's wonderful and then before we ever move to the couch to watch football or whatever, to-go plates are being made, food's being put in Tupperware, going into the fridge, uh, dishes are being done. You know why? Because no messes were allowed in our house. Does anybody kind of like that, have families like that? Okay. So... That's not the end of it, though. Things, it it gets worse. It goes beyond Thanksgiving, all right? So Christmas is coming up, right? And so what happens when kids open gifts at Christmas? You know, they rip open the the wrapping paper and they see what they got and it's all excited. Then they want to move on to the next gift. That's kind of how it worked in our house, except not so much because there was one rule. After you open a gift, you know what we had to do? We had to take the wrapping paper and we had to ball it up and we threw it to dad, who's sitting in the chair with the trash bag in his hands, waiting... (laughs) Waiting to clean up the mess as you opened your gifts. Now, this didn't always happen, but on Christmas night, I can remember several times in my childhood, that on Christmas night, we're taking ornaments off the tree. We're putting the Christmas decorations up on Christmas night because it's over. We got to move on to the next thing. Let's clean up the mess. Let's sweep and vacuum. and dad would vacuum almost every day, it seemed like, just to make sure there was no messes. Now, it gets even worse than that, uh, I'm gonna tell you. This is a little embarrassing, but I'm gonna tell you it anyway. Um, you know, as I moved into high school, you know, my dad recognized that maybe I wasn't the cleanest person and so what would happen, It, it was, it's kinda cool, I wish it would happen for me today, but I would get up in the morning to get, get ready for school and I'd go into the bathroom and I would come back to my room and my bed would be made. <laughs> it was awesome, it was a miracle. I wish that could happen for me today, but, but dad recognized that I wasn't gonna do it. And so he decided that he was going to do it because it's just a little too messy. He had to clean up that mess. I grew up in a household that we just didn't have messes. And I tell you all that because what we, what we find here with Joseph is that he's in a mess. Some people just can't handle a mess, right? Just, just can't handle it. Can't visually take that. And so you got to do it, take it into your own hands. Well, Joseph finds himself in a mess, with Mary with with his child with the community with expectations of what he's supposed to do and I think he's just afraid he's scared he doesn't know what the right decision is but then in this dream that he has the angel says to him Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife do not be afraid is what it says. And this word afraid in the Greek is this word uh, phobetes, which means afraid. And we kind of get our word phobia from it. And I kind of I get this, this idea that, that the angel, that God is kind of saying to him, don't worry about this. You, you may, it may seem scary. It may look scary, but I got you. Don't worry. I'm here. I know how this is going to work out. This is what the angel says to him. Do not be afraid. And I think the first truth that we can learn today from our text is this. Your fear cannot hold you back. Your fear cannot hold you back. And when I say that, what I mean by that is that how you respond to fear is a choice. Okay, all of us experience fear at different levels and at different times, but how we respond to fear is a choice. Let me tell you a little bit more about my childhood. When I was very, very young, I was about four years old, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. So I, I teach high school kids every Sunday um, uh, across the street in our student ministry center. And usually what happens is when I tell students my age, they, they usually look at me and say, man, you're old. Like, you can't connect with us. You don't know anything about us. But, you know, can I do this this morning? If I, if I tell you this morning I'm 30 years old, can you just look at your neighbor and say, oh, my, he's young, right? <laughs> that make me feel a little bit better. But as I tell you this story... If you're under 30, this may not connect with you. You may not know what I'm talking about. But if you're over 30 or or anywhere above that, you're going to know this. And you may chuckle when I say the name, Pee-wee Herman. Right? (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. That brings back memories. Okay, so Pee-wee Herman was a big deal. Back in the 80s, uh, when I was a kid, when I was about four years old, I would watch Pee-wee's TV show and I thought it was funny, and it was awesome, and um, I just, that was the thing. And so my parents decided that, because they love me a whole bunch, they wanted to give me a Pee-wee Herman doll, right? They thought that would be a great gift because, man, Matt really enjoys that, he thinks it's funny, like this will be perfect for him. In fact, I brought it today so that you could see what I'm talking about, all right? This is what my parents got me and they decided that I would just love this as a four-year-old that I would love a little Pee-wee Herman doll. And so when I got this as a gift, I did. I thought it was awesome. I I loved it. I was so excited. And then what happened next was a little traumatizing, okay? Because what I didn't know was on the back of Pee-wee was a pull string, all right? And when this was pulled, Pee-wee would start talking, and as a four-year-old boy, I was not mentally prepared for that, okay? I was not prepared for that because I, when that happened and my dad pulled that string, I was terrified. I was so afraid. In fact, I was so afraid that I gave it back to my parents and I said, take it away, put it in the box, and get rid of it. Because I was so afraid. I was not expecting this to start talking to me, okay? I'm going to put it back in the box. So that way you don't have to see it the rest of the sermon. But... Um, I was afraid I was terrified um, and to this day like Wee, I still don't I'm not okay with that but you know fear comes into our lives at different times but how we respond to fear is what makes us who we are you believe that how we respond to fear is what makes us who we are do we do we cry do we run or we do do we respond in a different way we cannot allow fear to hold us back for what God has planned for us in the future. Fear, responding to fear is a choice. Nelson Mandela said this about fear. He said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid but he who conquers that fear. You see, I think that God wants all of us to be able to look fear in the eyes and move past it with his help. That's what he called Joseph to do here. You see, even with the involvement and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit being a part of this situation, the road ahead for Joseph was gonna be filled with ridicule and mocking as he was gonna take a wife that had a kid that wasn't his. It was gonna be hard. But church today, I believe that the truth for us is this. Your fear cannot hold you back for what God has planned for you. And when I say that, it's not an absolute. I'm not giving you some inspirational message. I'm telling you that it's a choice for you and how you respond to fear when it comes into your life. We have to choose whatever path that God has for us to follow that plan. The second thing that we can see from this is talking about plans is this. Joseph had his own plan. Joseph had his own plan as how he was going to respond to this. The passage tells us that he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And that doesn't sound very loving, but it actually was because of what I've told you, that she would be publicly humiliated and in fact the Jewish law even called for her death if this was proven to be true. He was trying to save her. And Joseph had this plan for how he was going to fix the situation, but it was his own plan. He decided that taking Mary home as his wife and and, and accepting that shame of what that would look like for him was just too much for him to bear. And so he decided to come up with his own fix. And if you've lived any number of years, you could probably know that there's a problem often when we decide to come up with our own plan instead of seeking out what God has planned, right? When we come up with our own plan instead of seeking what God has planned, that often clashes, it's kind of like if you've ever decided or would decide to try to put together a piece of Ikea furniture without instructions, right? So maybe you're excited about Ikea coming to Indianapolis. Well, let me just tell you, you're going to walk through the store and you're going to see a ton of, of cool things and furniture all that kind of stuff. And you may buy something, but know this, when you buy it and you take it home, it's not going to look like what you take it home as. It's going to come in a box, And in that box is going to be a thousand pieces of wood and screws and nuts and bolts and all this kind of stuff and instructions that are going to come in ten different languages, right? And you're going to have to be responsible for putting it together. Now, what would happen if you had all those pieces and no instructions, no plan? It's probably not going to work out. You're probably going to end up with duct tape and putting it all together, right? This is what happens when we don't have a plan. Sometimes we just have to stick to the plan or the man with the plan. Over the last uh, about 10 years, I've been spending a lot of time in um, a wood shop with my father-in-law. And he's got all the tools and everything like that. And we've, we've built some projects. And I could tell you about 10 years ago, if you were to ask me to screw two boards together, I probably couldn't do that. But after all the projects and everything that he's taught me, if you were to ask me today to screw two boards together, I think I could do it. But I want to tell you about the first project that, uh, one of the first projects that we did is we built, I told him I wanted to build a box drum. Uh, It's called a cajon. And if you don't know what that is, it's about the size of one of these stools back here. But it's just a box, right? It's just a a box that you sit on and it's got a hole in the side. And then on the inside, it has a, a snare that presses up against the front of the box. So when you tap it on the front, makes a drum sound. It's kind of cool. Well, I came to him with this idea and I said, man, I've got the wood and I've got like, we're going to use your nail gun and all this kind of stuff. And I, I come to him and I'm like, this is how we're going to do it. And he kind of looks at me and says, nope, that's not how we're going to do it. And and it's because he knew how to do these things. He, he is experienced in doing these things. And so he said, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is the plan. This is what we're going to how we're going to accomplish all this stuff. And so all of a sudden I find myself routing things and sanding things and making things uh, level and all that kind of stuff. I probably just would have put together a box that had an opportunity for me to get splinters or it would just fall apart. But I followed his plan and it worked out really well. You see, sometimes we just have to follow the person with the plan. And when we try to do things on our own, it's not going to work out. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament um, that I want to flip to and, and, and read together. It's from First Ch- Samuel chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles handy, I'd love for you to turn there with me um, because we're going to read several verses from there. And so instead of you staring at me, uh, we could read it together. But let me give you some background of what's happening here. Israel, for a long time, had been governed by judges and then prophets. And all of a sudden, they get to a point in their history where they say, we've got our own idea how we want to be led. And in fact, we don't want to be led anymore by how, what God wants, but we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And so this exchange that we're going to read comes uh, from Samuel's perspective as he's the prophet in Israel, as the people, the leaders of Israel approach him with their own plan. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 4. It says this, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. And over the next 10 verses, Samuel tells the leaders of Israel, this is what a king will do. He's going to take your sons and he's going to put them into the military service. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to make them cooks and bakers. He's going to take your fields. He's going to take your flocks and your herds and your cattle. He's going to take everything that you have. He's going to take the best of it. And he's going to give it to himself and his family and his servants. And he's going to take it all. And one day, you're going to cry out to God and you're going to say, God, save us from this king. And he's not going to listen to you. This was Samuel's warning from the Lord to the people about their plan. But this was their response. If you look with me in verse 19, he says, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. You see, even Israel's history had been marred with this reputation of saying, God, we know what we want and we want what we want. Over and over and over again throughout their history, you find examples of things like this where we say, God, you may, you may tell us this, but this is what we want. Give us this. And God gives them a warning and they say, no, this is what we want Give us a king. Have you ever been guilty of having your own plan and telling God, this is what I'm going to do? We know what's right. We know what God has planned for us. We know, we know what we're supposed to do. But we find ourselves in life in situations where we say, I may know all that, but this is what I want. And this is what Israel is doing here. But here's the difference between Israel and what Joseph does. Joseph has his own plan he has his own plan of how he wants to solve this, but then he learns of God's plan. And what does he do? He submits. Joseph submits to God in his plan for this situation. I think that's the next truth that we learn from this passage is this. Your plans must submit to God's plans. Your plans must submit to God's plans. That's easy to say. In fact, you might in, on the inside be nodding your head saying, yeah, that's true but it's so difficult to live out in our lives. When we talk about the word submit in the New Testament in the Greek, this word is hupotasso. It's a compound word and it means to align or arrange under. It was a military term that would call the the soldiers to align under the leadership of their commander. And so when we read about submitting to God or talk about that, it's this view of falling under his divine leadership command. And it's all because God knows more. God cares more. God thinks things through more than we do. His ways are better. They're stronger. They're more reliable than ours. We have to learn to submit to God's plans. We have to learn to choose his way over our way, even when it's difficult. Have you ever been guilty of choosing your own way, over God's? If you're breathing this morning, the answer is probably yes. We, we've all been there. Joseph is met with this complex, his way or God's way, and he responds in the right way because of what God is doing through his family. All of that led Joseph to this reality. Jesus was on his way. Jesus was on his way. Joseph is given the good news that night. He was told that his bride Mary is is pregnant and conceived from the Holy Spirit and she'll have a boy and this boy would save the people from their sins. Joseph, I believe at that moment, I I think he got it. I think he saw the vision. I think he saw the plan for what God was doing because he recognized that his fear was gonna be replaced because it was no longer about him. This situation, this story was no longer about Joseph. It was about the Messiah. You see, the people had waited for so long for this promised Messiah, hundreds of years, hundreds of prophecies about this coming king. And all of a sudden, in this dream, in this vision, Joseph is told, that boy that you want to abandon in this situation is the Christ. He's the coming Messiah. And I think Joseph, everything changed for him in that moment. Everything changed because it was no longer a surprise. This was an answered prayer that the Messiah was coming. And Joseph learns that he's a part of the story and it changes his heart, it changes his future and it changes his plans. The truth for us today is this, your Messiah is with you. Jesus has come. And as we talk about that, and, and we, we, we've gotten used to this idea when we say Jesus has come, this name Emmanuel means God with us, that Jesus has come among us. Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It's something that David never had, that Moses never had, that Elijah never had, is a spirit living inside of us. That is the spirit of God. And yet, I think we've just become routine to these words that Jesus has come. Even in this Christmas season, we'll sing about it from the stage. It will be proclaimed from the stage for the next couple weeks. And we talk about Jesus. It's become normal. Yes, he came. I know that. It's true. There has to be joy, there has to be excitement in this truth and in this reality. What does it incite inside of you? Are we so normalized to the fact that Jesus became a man that it just means nothing to us today? You see, I think Satan, I think he wants us to get used to the gospel. I think he wants us to get used to the Christmas story so it loses its meaning. You see, I could stand up here today and I could juggle 20 tennis balls all at once. And you would probably be amazed, right? Have you ever seen someone? That's pretty incredible to juggle 20 tennis balls all at once. And you would probably be amazed and maybe you'd clap for me. But what, one thing you would do is you'd probably go home and tell all your friends how cool your church is. Uh, because they have a guy who could juggle 20 tennis balls all at once. And that they need to come see the guy who could juggle 20 tennis balls all at once. But what would happen is if next week I did it again. And then the following week I did it again. And then week after week after week after week I just came up here and I just juggled the 20 tennis balls. You'd probably just get normalized to it. You'd get used to it. It would become a routine for you. In fact, if I did that every week you'd probably just start looking at your bulletin when the tennis ball juggler guy came out, right? Because you've seen it. It's become normal to you. It's amazing. It truly is. I wish I could do that. But you've You've seen it. You've heard it. You know what to expect. in church, I think this is sometimes how we view the gospel. It's how we view this truth that Jesus has come. We know it. We know the story. We know Joseph and Mary and, and Bethlehem and there was a manger and wise men. We know all of that and we've become normalized to the reality that God became a man and he did it for you. You see, the gospel is this, that Jesus came. Yes, he came. That's the Christmas story. But that's not all he did. He lived. He taught. And eventually, he went to a cross for you. And not only on that cross is he rose from the dead and he resurrected and conquered death for you. And here we sit this morning and it's like, yeah, I know that. That's the reality of the gospel message. This idea that Jesus came is something that we should be excited about and rejoice in because of what it means for our life. See, Satan doesn't want you to get excited about this, he wants you to see this as normal, as something that you know. In fact, I think today, if Satan could destroy us, I think he would. But the fact that he hasn't destroyed us is a testimony to what the Messiah is doing and what is to come in our lives. God is here. He is with us. He is among us. And that is something to rejoice about. Let's not overlook the meaning of the name Jesus. In the Hebrew, it is the name Yeshua, which means Yahweh will save God will save the people from their sins. Is there anything else that's more important about Jesus coming than that? Than the reality that Jesus came here for us because we are a broken people. And that because He came and He lived and He died and He resurrected, we get to have the chance and opportunity for an eternity with Him. That is all that matters, that Jesus saves. Today, I just wanna end by challenging you with this. What would it look like this December, this Christmas season, for you to experience the truth and the reality that Jesus came in a new and fresh way? Not just looking and saying, I know the story and we're gonna sing about it and maybe some kids are gonna come up here and, and, and sing some Christmas songs, but what would it mean for you to sit down and breathe, just right now maybe, just breathe, Relax, close your notes. There's nothing else you need to write. Close your notes and just think about this statement. God became a man. He put on flesh and bones and he lived this life perfectly so that he could go to a cross for you. So that through his death and his resurrection, all we have to do is call on Jesus' name. That is why he came. That is the gospel and maybe today, I'm just, maybe today there's people in here who have never really taken that reality into their lives. Maybe you are not used to Christianity. This is what God did for you. Or maybe today you've been a Christian for for 50 years or 20 years or 10 years or something like that and you've just become normalized to this truth of, yes, this is Christmas, Jesus came, he was a baby, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, there's more to the story. And we rejoice because there's more to the story. That's what Christmas is about. And church, I just want to challenge you today, this season, to experience that in a new way. And what would it mean for your life to just truly reflect that God became man and he did it for you. He left the right hand, he left the throne for you. Today from this text, I just want you to take this and remember these three things. Don't let your fear hold you back. Don't let your fear hold you back from what God has planned for you. How you respond to fear is a choice. How Joseph decided to respond to that fear was a choice and it's a choice for you. God has something special for you. He has something planned for you, but it is a choice for you how you respond when things get difficult, when things don't go your way. Don't let your fear hold you back from what God has planned for you. And secondly, don't trust your plans over his. You're gonna learn that lesson over and over and over again in your life. Trust me, you will, I have. But don't trust your plans over his. Seek God and what he has for you and submit to him when you know what he has planned for you. Then lastly, is just this, what what I've told you, rejoice. Because God became a man, the savior of the world of your soul came to this earth for you. Don't let that be normal. Take that in this season and say, that's something I want to talk about. That's something that I want to tell people about. Don't just wear a Christmas sweater and decorate your tree. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus is here. He is with us and he has come. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus.